Hello, and welcome to Music City Songwriter, the podcast where we talk to the songwriters weaving the fabric of Music City USA itself, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Matt Bednarski, and today on the podcast, we have Ben Danaher. Drawing on the influence of legendary troubadours like Guy Clark, Rodney Crowell, and Towns Van Zandt, Ben Danaher first made a name for himself as a songwriter in Texas before relocating to Nashville. Along the way, he shared bills with Ray Riley Hubbard, Jack Ingram, Angelina Presley, Rhett Miller, Travis Meadows, and Amanda Shires, in addition to co-writing songs for Ryan Beaver, Bonnie Bishop, Rob Baird, and Justin Halpin, among others. For his own songs, Danaher collaborated with some of Nashville's fastest rising stars, including Marin Morris, on material that blended classic country tradition with modern rock and roll sensibilities. Recorded live and raw with his touring band, Dan Hur's deeply personal debut album, Still Feel Lucky, showcases his hard-won wisdom and cinematic storytelling, capturing slices of life with a candid honesty that cuts straight to the heart of things. Dan Hur lost his brother to murder and his father to cancer in short succession. And while many of the songs draw from that well of pain and loss, the music is anything but self-pitying. These are songs of revelation and redemption, reflecting a maturity and an acceptance that can only come with time and perspective. Writing the album was a therapeutic process for Danaher, an opportunity to make sense of the inexplicable, but it was also a chance to respond to the universe with love and gratitude despite all he's been through. I hope you enjoy hearing from Ben. He's a down-to-earth guy. And uh, yeah, here's my conversation with Ben Danaher. the podcast yeah, thanks for having me yeah man well i start every podcast this way this is no exception ben what is your story my story oh man i uh i am from a town called huffman texas which is about okay. 35 40 miles northeast of houston um i grew up down there in a pretty musical family I had a father who was a songwriter my uh my brothers all played instruments when we were growing up and kind of did the family band thing when we were growing up um I played baseball pretty heavy growing okay. up. My dad was drafted by the Astros and the Mets. No way, and man. So what position? He was a pitcher. Okay. He wanted, his, his dream for us was to become like professional baseball players. Okay. And so we spent many a summer in Houston yeah. um, playing doubleheaders and traveling and doing that kind of thing. Um, and so I graduated college, or from high school and went to Texas State University in San Marcos. Okay. Tried out for the baseball team there. Got cut immediately, and so okay. thus uh, started began my uh, music career. Um, I had already kind of like gotten into playing guitar and songwriting just from it being around the house a little bit, but that was like the first time I, I started looking at it like something I wanted to do. Hmm. Um, in college, I was really lucky because there was uh, in San Marcos, Texas, there was a, a venue there called the Cheatham Street Warehouse. Okay, and the owner of the club was named Kent Finley, and he kind of was like a like a champion for songwriters and, and, and facilitated a place that songwriters could play and be listened to. And We need people in places like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great experience because, you know, for me, it was like I would, I would go to the dorms and get people to come out to the shows and if, if they were drunk and loud... He, would, he didn't care about people mm. being there. He would just, like, run them out of the place. All oh, right. Like, it was about listening. It was about listening, yeah. Cool. They, he just actually, last year, got inducted into the Hall of Fame here. No. Which was really cool. For what? Just for um, being a... I think for having such a, a great presence in the Texas music scene. Oh, man, okay. 
And um, yeah, and so he was a, a good mentor to, to kind of latch on to early. Um, I played probably my first 50 to 100 gigs in that club. All right. Learned how to form a band. Yeah. Um, and as I got older, um, I graduated college. I got a degree in exercise and sports science. And so were you, were you while studying, this performing mm-hmm. and using kind of... I don't know, releasing yourself through music. Did you think you wanted to do it in a career aspect while you were studying these other things? You were just yeah. doing it for fun at the time? Um, I think, you know, like my, my brother, at the time my brother Brett was playing guitar for a guy named Pat Green. And in Texas, yeah. he was like at the top of the, the Texas food chain, right? And so it looked really glamorous to me. I didn't know how accessible it was to me, you yeah. know. Um, I was getting some pretty good looks opening for some of those bands. Um but I still had like a doubt in my mind on whether or not this was going to be my career path. And yeah. so I finished my degree and I remember there was a moment right at the end of my uh, teaching degree where you could either graduate um, in December after your mentorship or you could like go one more semester and get certified. And I went up to my mentor and I was like, I don't, oh, I'm never going to use this. You know, it was like it, it clicked on me Ooh. and she yeah. was like, just go finish it. And so we did. And um, I graduated the next semester, and uh, my brother Brett and I made like a little five-song EP, and I started touring around Texas. And you know, it it really wasn't until uh, 2011 when I moved to Nashville that it, that I felt like this was the moment. Like I actually feel like a musician, and I actually feel huh. like 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 I'm supposed to be here and supposed to be doing things. Well, let's take a pause because sure. So when did you actually start? Because there's one thing for playing music. Yeah. When did you start writing songs and why? Yeah, um, I was probably 17 when I started writing songs, um, which, given my, um, I guess, given like what was surrounding me, was a little late in the game. My brothers and my dad always wanted me to play bass in their mm. band, and I kind of I don't know why I didn't want to do that, but. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why I started. It was kind of like a, a an expected thing at first, um, hmm. but there was a high off of it, you know. Like after, I remember the first the first time I played in front of people um, was at Cheatham Shoot Warehouse during a happy hour, and I played for five people, and I, I like was so sweaty and like, <laughs> I mean, was, was mean nervous, so nervous, oh, yeah. like so incredibly nervous, yeah, and. Uh, but I, I love the feedback that people gave, you yeah. know, and that was, uh, I didn't know what I was doing writing songs. Um, I feel like I, I tried to study a lot after that, but, um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it springboarded me into pursuing it. I don't know. What were you know. listening to? Who were your inspirations? Yeah, back then, uh, I, you know, I got in a hold of, a, you know, growing up when I was little, my dad always had you know, Guy Clark and Rodney Crowell and those kind of guys okay. on. Um, when I got to college, I, I hit like a pretty big Ray Charles phase and like yeah. I get dug into the Merle Haggards and um, the Texas country scene was really big. So I was really into Robert O'Keefe, okay. who's a, a guy down there that was doing big things. And um, there's a guy named Jack Ingram, who my brother and those guys were friends with that I, I really dug. Um, so yeah. Um, that kind of led me into that phase of things. And then, as you know, it kind of evolves more as you get older. For sure. Nature. So you write, you start writing about 17. You mm-hmm. go through college playing music. Mm-hmm. You finish the degree. And then you said you did an EP with your brother. Is mm-hmm. that under your name or a duo? It's under my name. I, it's actually gone from the internet now. Oh, but, it's yeah. erased. Yeah. Um, we, we had two singles that we put out in Texas. And 
and both of them charted for whatever that that's worth. So you dug into the te- that scene first, right? Yeah. yeah, that was. How long know, did you do that for? About five years. Oh, so yeah. okay. Why? Yeah. That's before picking up moving here. Five sure. years in the Texas scene. Yeah. Were you kind of going all in, or were you doing other things to stay afloat? Well, I had to. You know, like I couldn't afford to go completely all in. I, I worked a day job, weed eating and and mowing grass at this right. guy's property for a good chunk of that time. But yeah, I mean, I had a band, and we would we would get in my truck and tour around Texas. We'd hit all the the big cities and it's its own country yeah it's a big place man it's a, it's a different world down there but there was a moment where it clicked down there for me too where you know it wasn't this isn't this isn't right you know it wasn't <laughs> like there was anything bad about that scene it just i don't think i was i was fitting in that mold musically musically yeah um yeah socially probably too okay in, in a way Mainly musically, I think I remember that we opened for we opened for a guy named Randy Rogers down there who who does great and uh and we're lucky enough to get this gig. We get in there and he's got three thousand people there and we sold like five records at the end of the night and I was like this this is not lining up right oh, you know yeah okay. like so and it's it's a pretty big party in in some sense you know and for me I was looking at the songwriters that were writing some of the the hardier stuff and um introspection sure yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, deeper content um there's a there's a songwriter that lives here named alan shamblin who's he's just got inducted into the hall of fame a couple years ago and he's from huffman the town we grew up in and he kind of in a way talked me into moving up here um okay he broke it down in a way that seemed seemed less like a a sellout move or like a deserting move it was you know he asked me who all of my heroes were and there were Guy Clark Towns Van Zandt Rodney Crowell Willis Allen Ramsey like all those those <laughs> troubadour type of guys and it turns out they had all either spent time or did still live in Nashville and so I figured why not give it a year you know give it a year and that was how many years ago? it was six and a half years ago alright so yeah. one year turned into six yeah, yeah. so you picked up, moved here. Uh, then what happened? Um, you know, like when I got here, like I had written a song with a guy named Rob Baird who lived in Austin, and he signed at Carnival Records here. Sure. And they put out the song as a single, and so I got a lot of love from them as far as um, letting me get in the, the circuit of their writers and Sweet. their publishing stuff, and that was great because they had really good writers over there. Um, and it, it seemed like that was one of the one companies in town that that wasn't so concerned with a bottom line of making X amount of money back off of like a huge radio single. I mean, obviously they wanted those things, but they invested in writers that they really cared about. And cool. I was lucky enough to get into those circles for a second and writing with the Brent Cobbs and the- uh, Oh, he's uh, great. Yeah, and uh, there was a guy writing a lot over there named Jason Sines, who was really great. And um, I'm trying to think of who else was over there. Stephanie Lambring. Adam Hood, it was it was a good scene there for. Were well, you coming here to, you know, just jump in the writing scene, or were you saying I want to be Ben Dan Hur, the artist putting out records, mm-hmm. or were you kind of just like I, I'm just here? What, what was your thought process? Yeah, I think when I got here, I thought that I was gonna like waltz in and get a publishing deal. Everybody thinks yeah. that. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, I, I remember having a meeting with my PR, my BMI rep, and and she was like, you know, you should pick one or the other you should pick either being a writer or being an artist and and kind of and and that went against everything i thought right. i believed in because you know my my guys were hank williams and daryl scott and you know guys like travis meadows and 
who wrote songs and went out and performed them yeah. and like made I, music I didn't think you had to you had to choose one or the other mm-hmm. and so that was a little weird to me at first yeah. um, and so as as I dug into the publishing stuff more I started realizing what publishers were looking for at, at in 2016, 2017, 2018, it's not necessarily, you know, the purest thing all the time. Yeah, like they're maybe. looking to make a buck and I don't blame them, but I had to make a decision. That's not your plight. Right. Yeah. That's either I play that game and everybody's expectations are there or because the last thing I would want is to get into a publishing deal and everybody be unhappy a year later, your songs aren't getting pitched. They're just yeah. tied up. And then the publisher's mad at you because you're not writing radio singles and you're mad at the publisher because they're trying to make you write radio singles. I don't think that serves anybody very well. Um, So I I worked a job. I I still work a bartending job at 3rd and Lindsley. And that that helps supplement income um, to to be able to get to rights during the day. And then, um, yeah, I I spent like two, three years figuring that out. And then um, I went to Vermont for a summer, my my ninety three year old grandmother was living by herself. I had gotten mm. gotten frustrated with a lot of the publisher meetings and needed a break, and so I went up there for three months and worked a, a side job with a, a real estate company, basically riding around in a truck and painting buffalo wild wings and like. Hey, there are worse things in this world. There Vermont, are, yeah, and that's like, a beautiful state. Oh, it's great. But, I mean, I think my boss was nineteen years old, you know, <laughs> and like. But it was a good dose of perspective, you know. I was I was down here feeling sorry for myself on mm-hmm. different things, and here's a 93 year old lady who's served in the World War, and all of her friends have passed away, and, yeah. and every day she's telling you how lucky she is that she's had such a great life, and that was a that was a wake up call, man. Like to see that and see yeah. her positivity. So you spend those few months. I guess you spend however long here kind of mm-hmm. figuring things out, sifting through things, sure. soul searching. You spend three months and then you come back and you, mm-hmm. you kind of have some clarity. What, where are you at right then? Well, before I left, um, I had made a, a five song EP to, to, to tie the Travis Meadows things in. Oh, okay. um, there was a, I had taken a lot of these meetings and everybody was telling me things were too sad or too slow. And then we'd somehow get on the topic of what you're listening to. And I, and uh, I would mention Travis's Killing Uncle Buzzy record. I was like, how great is that record? And everybody's reaction was always, oh, yeah, you know, this is the best record ever. And it's like, I would rather have that reaction any day than, like, you put me with a track guy and tell me how hot this new hit is or something, mm-hmm. you know? And so I actually found the guy who produced that record. His name's Reed Shelza. And we got together and made an EP in 2013 that cool. is still on Spotify. Um, What's it called, that EP? That's called Starting Over. Cool. It's a five-song uh, project. And uh, he was great to work with, and he and uh, he told me a lot of the backstory on Travis's record, so that was really cool to see his story. Um, but, you know, that was f- five years um, ago since that record. And so when I went to Vermont, it was to write songs with more of an objective for a new record. Okay, um, so a little bit of a treat as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was one, one selfish reasons to get away, two, to help my grandmother, but also three, to like kind of focus in on, on what I wanted to be saying. I felt like I was doing so many co-writes in town that we were getting to a point where we were just like fabricating stories of like, yeah. you know, and that, that felt, it just 
felt like we weren't like nailing it, you know? And like, no matter what we wrote, it was like a triple and not a home run, you know? Hmm. And so going up there, I was trying to take all of the tools or the, um, I guess the things that I'd learned in, in different co-writing situations on whoever does this with the craft or whatever and focus it on what I actually wanted to say in a record. And I got up there and I wrote 12 songs, um, one of them. I kept one of them for the really? record. You know, wow. you know, it was like I already had a good batch from the years before yeah. of writing, and uh, and so yeah. And as we as we got into making the record, there was there was a lot of life stuff that I felt like I could talk about. So, hmm. so you came back here and you made that record. Mm-hmm. And what was the name of that record? The, that's the record I'm about to release. It's, oh, it's called Still Feel Lucky. So just connect the dots. So when yeah. exactly did you go to Vermont? Ooh, that was two summers ago. Okay, so. so you've been making this record for a long time. Well, I made it a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> I made it like been, a year and a half ago. You've been, you've been holding I've, it I've tight. I've held it, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, when I made it, I basically put it on a SoundCloud page and marched it around town to yeah. whoever I could get it to yeah. um, to see what their advice would be or what, you know. And now it's time for it to fly. Yeah. Cool, yeah. and when, when exactly are you releasing it? September 7th. Cool, congratulations. Thank you. Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so that pretty much brings us up to today. Yeah. Yeah, and so let's let's turn uh, a little bit of a direction into songwriting. Okay. You know, focusing on that. You know, um, you've done quite a bit of co-writing. Do you do quite a bit of solo writing as well? Where, mm-hmm. where do you kind of, uh, how much foot do you keep in each pool, so to speak? Sure. I try to. Um, right now, my life, like the way my daily schedule looks like, I'm, I'm in the midst of um, a record release campaign. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff that's deterring me from sitting down by myself and writing. Um, I, I feel like that that kind of gets in the way of being the purest writer that you could be. Like I, I'm relying on co-writes to make sure that I'm actually writing right now. Yeah, I but I do love solo writing. I feel like I'll go through a stretch where I'll have two or three co-writes in a week and you, and you get stifled in a way. You get frustrated because you're not able to say what you want to say. And not because the other person is not letting you. It's just not presenting itself the right way. Hmm. And so there's been rights where I've had a six-hour write with somebody. And I've came home and wrote two songs by myself just because I felt like I needed to get cool whatever it was out that yeah. day. And it could have been gibberish but, or whatever. But it just, you know, it's hard sometimes to to be that vulnerable with somebody else. Yeah. Do you... um do you have a process for writing? I guess co-writing or solo writing. Do you, do you have a set way that you do things that you approach? Uh, it's different every song usually. Um, I, you know, a lot of times I like to start with a line or a concept. Um, you know, it depends on where I'm at. If if I have a guitar or if I have an instrument with me, um, I like to start by either playing a melody and trying to follow that melody with a vocal. Um, thing if I'm driving a lot of times I'll hum something out um, hmm. and see which lines catch or which lines not um, try to document it in a voice memo or write it down in the notepad but, um, but yeah it usually kind of comes at the same time you know if you're talking about vocals and or um, lyrics and, and music um, what do you value most in a song? Uh, I think the honesty of it, like, you know, like one of the things that Alan taught me is approaching a song from your greatest joy or your greatest sorrow. Ooh, that's good. You know, like if you, if you can do that every time, I don't think you're going to, you're going to fail at whatever it is, you know? Um, 
and and a lot of times that could be anger that could be happiness you know for for me lately it's been sadness just because there's been so much dark stuff happening which mm. um but there's gratitude in in where i'm at today but yeah you know um i think it you know in, these days in country music it seems like people are writing songs about just about anything and sometimes it almost feels like they're writing songs about other things so they don't have to just write about what is honest or they're dancing around something that they're trying to do too cutely or like they're hmm. you know like uh, I, I heard Jack Ingram in an interview one time talk about you know no matter what you, you know, no matter how many times you think something's been said the way you're going to say it is the most unique way you can say it and that's hard to remember sometimes when you have Bob Dylan or whoever in the back of your head every time you go to write hmm. um, so yeah, I th- yeah, long long way around. I, th- yeah. I think honesty. I don't know. Yeah. So in that case, then, when you think of great songs, mm-hmm. what comes to mind for you? Are there a couple you know that were particularly pivotal for you? You know, that, that pop up. Yeah, um, you know, with a close tie to Alan, um, his catalog always reminded me of that. Like, uh, I can't make you love me was was his biggest one. Oh, the Bonnie Raitt cut. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. And and. Um, the house that built me by Miranda Lambert was, great was a big one. Um, that was that was an interesting one for me because when that song came out, it was the year that my brother had been killed, and his daughter was three years old, and all of us were kind of standing around looking at each other like, "What are we gonna do?" Hmm. That song was big on the radio. We knew that he was our hometown hero and written it. Wow. And she comes in and she knows every word to it and is like, would perform it for us. And it was like a break in the tension for a second, you know? And so that was, that was such a special song and a special moment. Um, one, because the, the lyric was so beautiful and it was, it was so spot on and honest for so many people. But two, just I think the circumstance of it was, was so uh, timely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dang. What about... Um... For your own songs, I know uh, mm-hmm. not everybody's heard, can even hear at this moment the stuff right. that's forthcoming. You know, talk about maybe a, a song or two of yours that sure. means particularly quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. It could be that you know somebody reacted specifically to it, or it just matters to you in a way, kind of whatever mm-hmm. you want to break down. Sure. No, I, I, I was telling you, I just spent a lot of time talking about this song in particular, but it, I wrote a song a couple years ago called "My Father's Blood." that I wrote with um, a guy named Eric Dillon and my dad my dad was a songwriter growing up and so um, we learned a lot of things about being a musician and surviving and being a man and um, living that lifestyle but um, I think the thing that people fear the most whenever they lose somebody is that 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 memory is going to go away or that that they'll be forgotten yeah you know and so this song my father's blood to me is like a tangible piece of evidence mm-hmm. that i have with me for the rest of my life that is a reminder of my father and yeah. when i'm on stage and i play it I've, i've i picture him either if it's a really great gig i picture him being really proud of me for being accomplishing this thing or getting to do this thing if it's a really bad gig then i picture him going through the same thing and he's done it and and he Mm. knows what that's like and and you know uh it's a special song to me because that's it it proves that the grief is is worth it it's worth the memory you know yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Um, any others come to mind that you know particularly important to you, and for what reason? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, on this record, another one that we did was is called "Getting Over Someone." Okay. And that song I wrote with a girl named Kristen Kelly. Um, she had the title, and at the time, it just kind of like made sense. You know, she said everybody's getting over somebody, and. I connected the dots in a way like she was talking about a relationship sure for me I was thinking about all the publisher meetings I'd had mm-hmm. and how I was getting told that like sad songs aren't selling and it almost made you feel like you weren't allowed to like grieve or cope you know and I thought about my three-year-old niece who was looking at the rest of her life and like uh, it just it seemed unfair to tell somebody that wasn't the appropriate emotion yeah. you know and so I had that in mind when I, when we wrote that um, song. You know, it's I have this conversation with so many people. It's so difficult the idea of music as both business and art. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't look down on it the idea of it being a business, but sure. I do think it is an art first and foremost. Sure, and it's a it's a tough thing to um, I guess sail both those waves at the same time, and so. I don't know. From my unsolicited perspective, I mm-hmm. think you just got to keep being you, man. Sure. You know. You know. I don't. You know. I don't think. I don't think any of us think about art without thinking about somebody else perceiving it. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I would love to say that I'm the most pure songwriter in the world and walk in, and I don't care about what anybody else thinks when I write. But I think for all of us, that's almost impossible hmm. because you, you, you're going to either think about performing it or you're going to think about putting it on a record or somebody buying it or what publisher is going to like it or whatever. But if you can find a way to offer this song to somebody who needs it, like that's one thing I admired about my dad so much was he always found an angle for somebody, you know, like if it were somebody going through a divorce he if, if it wasn't about him he, he found a way to write from their perspective and almost give the song as an offering to them to to have and to cope with hmm. yeah as a, almost as a friend sure song becomes a friend yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned these couple songs and, and you wrote them with with people mm-hmm. you know um, I imagine that you've covered in quite a bit of times sure. what are some lessons that you've maybe gathered and, and uh, absorbed through co-writing mm-hmm. there's a lot of humility in co-writing I think um, when I moved here and started jumping into it pretty heavy y- your expectation is that you're going to go in with, especially with the writer who you really respect like that's like if I, like the times that I've written with Alan I, I want to go in and I want to write the next house that built me Yeah, you know or I want to write the next I can't make you love me and sometimes he'd be like you want to write a dance song and you're like that's the farthest thing from what I imagined was going to happen today, you know, and like, and sometimes it doesn't work, and you know, and for whatever reason, there's there's so much in the air that you have to take into account. Um, there's, you know, you being vulnerable with somebody else. Um, you're you're letting your pride down a little bit. Like, if there's a line that you really love that you thought should be there, sometimes you have to compromise that. I mean, within reason. Like, you don't want to like give up something that you know is really great, but like. But sometimes it's it's tough to 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 not believe that that's the greatest line, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, or the idea might not be right, or you just might not be supposed to be writing that song with that person that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I think the hard lessons is 
it, sometimes the song isn't exactly what you think it is when you when you get into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, this is called Music City Songwriter. Sure. So I just want to turn a bit on the Nashville. Okay. You know, spent five years in the Texas music scene, then came here, and you've been here for six and a half. I think mm-hmm. six and a half years. Yeah. What does Nashville mean to you? You know, how is it a part of you? Uh, how are you part of it? You know, how would you kind of boil down this city for you? Mm-hmm. Man, Nashville is, you know, it, it's some, some days I feel trapped here because I feel like this is the only place to get what Nashville has to offer. You know, mm. like there, and, and that's good and bad. Like mm. um, good because it's here too, because I'm bad because you, you know, I'd love to be able to live somewhere else at some point in my life. And just like, feeling like you have freedom. Ex- ex- freedom of experiencing another part of the country, which which I did when I went to Vermont. But like, but I feel like the resources here are incredible. You know, mm. like when I moved here, um, it seemed like everybody wanted to help. You know, that's great. Like, and and that's that was the most inviting thing in the world um, until they have to pay you. Then things change. But, until they have to pay you. Yeah. Until um. yeah. So like everybody will set you up with the meeting, and they'll set you up with the the A and R guy, or they will uh, connect you with the publisher, and the publisher will set you up with the writers, and everything will get like everybody will help yeah. if you know if you play the game the right way. Um, it's until like you get across the desk and you say, you know, is this worth a publishing deal, or is you know yeah. that that when the rubber of, really meets the road. Sure. Of. Yeah, but um, I feel like I, I learned so much here. You know, like I work in a music venue where I see. Seven nights a week, a really great band. Yeah, that's you know? an amazing music venue. So you sure. see time jumpers on a weekly basis. I work you know? every Monday. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it is like, that's a 10-piece band. I don't know how many Grammys they have collectively, but it's insane. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it, yeah. and, but you also see the humility in them. Like, yeah. they're, they're extraordinary human beings. And like, every one of them is so kind. And like, um, that's a great, it's a, one, it's a great example of how to be a pro. You see it every week, and, you, and two, how to be a good human to yeah. somebody, even if you have, have tons of Grammys. Yeah, which is ultimately way more important. Than yeah, a good human. Sure, sure. Uh, and and speaking of that, so uh-huh. to could have put a bow on this, you know, yeah. you're a songwriter, but you're a person, you're a human, you're a friend, you're all that first. So sure. ultimately, so you stepping back, you know, either through music or, or or not, what ultimately is your goal? You know, what what's mm-hmm. your purpose? What do you want to do? Yeah, um, I would love to have a career. That's like okay, the, that, that's enough. my that's a career my, in music. Yeah, yeah, you know, like when I think about like goals and like, I mean, there are bucket list items I could wrap off to you. Like, I would love to play the Ryman or headline the Ryman or win a Grammy. Like those things would be great. But if there was always a stage to play on, if there was always like a uh, another gig, and like I, you know, like I, I live as I'm sure a lot of people in this business do with the imposter syndrome of things where you feel Hmm. like at some point people are going to uncover you and figure out you're a fraud or like oh wow you know and and so then what do you mean exactly by that that you're that you you're not as good as as you think you are or you think that they're all yeah i can't they don't really believe what you're doing kind of what do you mean well, yeah, maybe that you're not that important or like, oh, yeah. or that your song isn't as good or right. that you're not as great of a singer as you thought you were or you're not as great of an entertainer, which I think comes with the turf if you're hmm. in the creative process of things. But I spent my entire life trying to prove that to myself where, uh, you know, it wasn't until even a couple of years ago where I felt like I was deserving of, of having a a place here you know and like being able to do this like 
I was having coffee with somebody the other day and we were kind of wrapping on that same thought and I said you know I drive a 12 passenger van with duct tape on it to my serving job and it's like nobody's in this more than I am you know like it's Mm -hmm. if you're really thinking about um, legitimacy or like being an honest working musician Um, so I think I lost my my just, just the goal. We're talking the goal. About yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, always, always having a home in this, you mm. know, and always being relevant and being able to make a record, being able to write songs and and perform those songs. Yeah. Well, man, I wish you nothing but the best for this upcoming record and Thank just you. living day by day and making sure. music and and uh, just thanks for being here today, man. man. Thanks for having me. You got it. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben Danaher. Definitely connect with him online. Visit bendanaher.com. Stay tuned for his forthcoming album and perhaps catch him at a show when he's touring near you. And of course, stay connected with us. We are at Music City Songwriter on Facebook and Instagram, at Nash City Podcast on Twitter. And if you need to email us, we are MusicCitySongwriter at gmail.com. But thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much.